This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. We're going to continue our series looking at the small books of the Bible in Jude this morning. If you want to start heading there, don't be afraid to use your concordance, although Jude is the second to the last book in your Bible. comes right before Revelation, if that helps. While you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. How do you describe our church to other people? Maybe someone just asks where you go to church, or maybe you're inviting someone to come to church, but however the topic comes up, how do you describe our church to other people? Perhaps you say something about the music or the fellowship or... Maybe it's something about the Bible studies or the centrality of the Word of God. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's all of the above. How do you describe our church to people who don't go here? Because even though I'm sure that I don't know what your answer is, I do know what your answer is not. Like if you tell someone you go to Cedar Springs Church and they say, Oh, that's nice. Why do you go there? I know your answer is not, well, you see, I just, I love how uh, great they lead us in, in, in deception and corrupt, you know, gospel, and I, and I really especially like how they do it so sneakily. Most of the time, I don't even know I'm being deceived. That's what I love about it. How about you? Where do you go to church? I know that's not what you say, because nobody goes to a church because they love being led astray because they want to be deceived. That's not how this works. Yet there's this little passage in Acts chapter 20 where Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem and he knows it's the end of the road for him, so he stops in Ephesus to have a a last little meeting with the elders to encourage them and give them one final warning uh, before he goes away. And one of the things he says to them in Acts chapter 20 beginning in verse 28. And keep this in mind, he's talking to the elders, not the congregation. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. Okay, why should they do that? He says, Because I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. It's the elders not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And then he went on to encourage them to keep alert and to watch out for these things. But what I want you to notice is that Paul doesn't say this might happen. Twice he said this will happen. So so what Paul says exposes something about that question that I asked you about how you would describe our church a few minutes ago. You see, nobody goes to a church because they love being deceived and lied to. Yet Paul said it will happen. Wolves, Wolves will come in, deceiving the flock, which means one of two things. Either people are not deceived, and Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was mistaken, Or this deception is covert and sneaky and hidden so that people think they are not being deceived when they are. 
Well, at the most, 10 years after Paul said that to the Ephesian elders, Jude, the brother of Jesus, wrote this letter. And what I want you to do is I want you to pay special attention to the tense, the subtle shift in tense that Jude makes regarding these wolves. Look with me, Jude, beginning in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. <clears throat> for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the, angel who did not say, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the, and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, that they like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His, glory, of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the prediction, predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority 
before all time, and now, and forever. Amen? So jump back up to verse 3 and 4 there. Jude said he wanted to talk to them about their common salvation, but somehow, we don't know how, he got wind that certain people had crept in unnoticed and were perverting the gospel. So what I want you to remember is less than 10 years after Paul said these people would come, Jude is saying, they're here, not, not coming anymore, now they're here. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. I, I, I want us to imagine that we're one of the churches that has received Jude's letter. Not that we're reading about a church 2,000 years ago, like we're reading Jude's letter in real time, like it was written to us. Because like Jude this morning, I want to convince all of you that we too still must contend for the gospel. That we still must contend for the gospel. Now if you look at verse 4 again, Jude tells us what these certain people are doing. At the end of verse 4, he says they're He says that they are perverting the grace of our God into sensuality and denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? There's a big word coming at you. It's called antinomianism. Antinomianism. Noma being the law, anti being against, anti-law, no law. In other words, these people are saying, live your life. Do what feels good. I mean, why else did Jesus die? You're forgiven. Just do do whatever you want. Jesus doesn't care. That's why he died for your sins. That's what he means when he says they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Meaning, Jesus told us there is a way we're supposed to live. They're saying you don't have to. In fact, Jesus made it clear in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That part we know. What we often forget is the second half where he says, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. Paul said this countless times, like we saw two weeks ago in Ephesians, where he said, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Peter also said that God has given us everything we need for godliness, to live godly lives. So again, Jude is writing to us. That's what I want you to think about. Jude is writing to us, and he's saying that we must contend for the faith because we haven't noticed. We haven't noticed that certain people have crept in among us, people who are deceiving us and and perverting the foundations of our salvation. But look at verses 5 through 7 where Jude tells us that we must also contend for the gospel because people like this have been judged before. He says, people like this have been judged before. He says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And there were some angels that didn't stay in their own position of authority, so Jesus he has kept in eternal chains, in gloomy darkness, in verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities indulge in sexual immorality, are undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Now, Jude does a few things that are interesting in here that I want you to see. First, notice the examples that he uses to make his point. The first and the third examples are Egypt and Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are places on earth. Those are physical places. 
However, the second, the middle example, if you'll notice, are angels that didn't stay in their place. They're, they're the spiritual realm. But notice that, that Jude says in verse 5 that it's Jesus who is doing the destroying and the punishing. And then in verse 6, it's Jesus. He says, quote, he has kept those angels in eternal chains. In other words, what Jude is saying is this. Jesus, our master has the authority in both heaven and on earth to judge spiritual beings and humans alike. But not just that. Notice what Jude also tells us about Jesus' judgment. Toward the end of verse 6, Jude tells us that Jesus has kept these angels in eternal chains. And then at the end of verse 7, those in Sodom and Gomorrah are in eternal fire. In other words, Jude is telling us that that, that not only is hell real, but Jesus sends people and angels there if they choose not to obey Him. And secondly, Jude is telling us that that real hell is eternal. And thirdly, if you look at the beginning of verse 8, Jude tells us that these certain people who are perverting the gospel are headed in that direction. He says, he says, yet in like manner, these people also. So again, we're the people who are listening to this letter. It's written to us. And the warning is that these people he's talking about are following the footsteps of people who were sentenced to eternal hell by Jesus Christ for disobedience. So now that you know this, now that we've, we've opened this letter and you know what's at a, what it's about, how do you feel? What are you thinking? What's the first thing you're going to do? When you, when you find out that certain people have crept in unnoticed, have crept in unnoticed, and are perverting the gospel, what's the first thing you're going to do? Let me give you a hint. Look to your right. Look to your left. Is it, is it them? No, maybe it's them. No, you know what? It's probably that guy who isn't here today. For the love of God, Jude, tell us who it is. We obviously don't know. You're freaking us out. Because remember, the whole point is you didn't know they were here. And I ask this somewhat seriously. If this letter was written to our church, would you know who I was talking about? Is there somebody in this building right now that sticks out as a perverter of the gospel? So what's Jude going to do? Well, knowing that that is the natural response of the people who he just spoke to, he's going to spend most of the rest of this letter explaining to us how to identify these people. In fact, he's going to give us three clear ways to identify these people who have crept in. Look at verses 8 through 10 where Jude says the first way that we can identify these people with whom we must contend for the gospel. He says they are blasphemous. He says they are blasphemous. He says in verse 8, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their own dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending for the devil over Moses' body, he didn't presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment in contrast. Verse 10, But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and are destroyed. Now what does Jude mean by blaspheme? It's kind of a vague word that we don't define very often. What exactly are these people doing? Where he gives us a, a few clues. Notice in verse 8, 
he says they rely on their own dreams and reject authority. Meaning they give their experiences more weight than anything else. Like this is what God told me. I've had a vision. But then the example of the archangel Michael. And before you go there, don't ask. The, I don't have an answer and nobody does. What Michael was doing and what it has to do with Moses' body, don't ask. I'm not, I can't tell you. And the reason I can't tell you is because it has nothing to do with the point. The point of that verse about Michael is just to simply recognize that he's way more powerful and important than any of these people who have crept in. Yet he didn't even presume to have the authority to pronounce judgment on the devil, but left that to God. That's the point of that verse. But I wonder, have you ever heard anyone presume to have the authority to pronounce judgment on demons or the devil? Devil, I command you, something like that. That's who Jude is talking about. Because what Jude means by blaspheme is they reject authority. They reject authority. They are an authority unto themselves. And they really don't like it. When an elder or a pastor or someone else in God's sovereignly ordained hierarchy of authority challenges them on something they say or do. They really don't like that. And Jude is saying that's the first way we can identify these people who have crept in. He says we must contend for the gospel against these people who blaspheme Jesus' authority. They deny our master. But that goes hand in hand with the second way Jude says we can identify these people. Notice in verse 11 that Jude says that we also must contend for the gospel against people who are greedy for their own authority and wealth. They're greedy for their own authority and wealth. He says in verse 11, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves to the sake, for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. So Jude gives us three names in this verse to understand what he's saying. Cain was jealous that his offering wasn't good enough for God. And by jealous, I don't mean jealous like he wanted to try harder, I mean jealous like he was insulted that God would say, that's not good enough. Like, who are you, God, to tell me? And Balaam was an Old Testament prophet who accepted a bribe from a, from a warring nation to pronounce a judgment on God's people. He was greedy. And Korah's an interesting dude. Korah was a priest in the wilderness with Moses as they're wandering through the wilderness after the Exodus. And basically what Korah did was he went to Moses and he's like, who put you in charge? Well, who, why do you have the right to tell us what to do? You know, who said you're the boss? Well, God opened up the ground, swallowed him alive, and basically said, I did. And Jude says, these men are following in their footsteps. In other words, not only do they reject anyone else's authority, but these people that we must contend against are greedy for their own authority and their own wealth and their own influence and their own power. They want to be on top. But there's a third way Jude says we can identify these people in verses 12 and 13. He says we must contend for the gospel against people, and this is important, who are deceptively attractive. They're deceptively attractive. He says in verse 12, <clears throat> These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, 
as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds. Jude is just unloading the metaphors in these verses to describe how these false teachers smuggle death into the church. But the metaphors are helpful. Notice first in verse 12, he says, they are hidden reefs at your love feast. Now by love feast, he just means communion. For them, a potluck was communion. That's how they did communion back then. But what he means is they are hidden. They're concealed. They're unnoticed. They look safe, but right below the surface is shipwrecking falsehood. And what is that danger? What is that falsehood? Well, second, notice how Jude says that they are shepherds feeding themselves. In other words, they look the part. They say the right things. Love you, brother. Praying for you, brother. But when you look closely, instead of feeding the sheep, they're feeding on the sheep. They are being served, not serving. They are gaining from the people who they are supposed to be growing. And third, notice Jude says at the end of verse 12, they are also waterless clouds and fruitless trees. Now, we can actually relate to this one a little bit. You know, when it gets really, really dry and the clouds start to form, and you can smell the moisture in the air, and then nothing happens. That's who these people are. What these false teachers have to say, it's very intriguing. It's very exciting even. It's it's interesting what they have to say. They hold out a lot of promise, but in the end deliver nothing. They deliver nothing. But not only are they hidden, not only are they self-serving, Not only are they useless, but fourth, Jude says at the end of verse 13 that they are wild waves of the sea and wandering stars. Now, this is is important, what he means by this. Wild waves are awesome. They're powerful. Wild waves wreck ships and break rocks. And what he means by, by wandering stars is shooting stars. Interesting, pretty, beautiful. In other words, they look good, they're charismatic and attractive. They display power and beauty, but what they're actually broadcasting is their own shame. It's false, it's totally devoid of truth. It's like, he's saying like a shooting star. They're really, really pretty, they're very attractive, but they're useless for navigation. They take you nowhere, you can't use them. So to sum up, Jude says in verses 8 through 16 that we can identify these people against whom we're supposed to contend for the gospel. First, by their blasphemous rejection of authority. Second, by their their greed for their own wealth and influence. And thirdly, how they hide who they really are in a very attractive package. But even though they look attractive, even though they sound great, Even though they're charismatic shepherds, what they're actually saying is full of treachery and deceit. And just to make sure we know what's at stake, Jude adds one final warning beginning in verse 14. He said, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Behold, what comes with the Lord, ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment, to convict all, and then he says ungodliness about ten times. So to make sure we grasp the importance of what he's saying... People have snuck in. They've crept in unnoticed. You didn't see them. And just to make sure you understand how important this is, Judas saying, remember a few verses ago how one holy one 
could stand up to the devil? Well, God is bringing ten thousands of his holy ones to judge and convict these people for their ungodliness. Which means it's not going to be pretty. It's not even going to be a fight. This isn't going to be like some Rocky movie where, where God and his holy ones bang it out against these, these bad people. No. It will be swift and it will be a slaughter. That's who's crept in to our church. What would be running through your mind right now, at least? We get to this point. How would you feel if this was written to us? Very dangerous, extremely capable false teachers who are headed toward hell are perverting the gospel completely unnoticed. How would you feel? Well, allow me to let you in on a little plot twist that might help you relate a little bit better. You see, even though I've asked you to imagine that you are one of these people, the truth is that you don't have to imagine. The truth is that we are in exactly the same predicament as these first listeners. The truth is, I could read this letter to us in real time, in first person, in the present tense, and all of it would be directly applicable to you and I right here this morning. Deceitful, charming, attractive, dangerous people are trying to and have crept into this church unnoticed. Now what are you thinking? Now this isn't imagining, this is truth. I'm not asking you to picture yourself as one of these people. I'm telling you, you are one of these people. How do you feel knowing that this isn't just a letter written to Christians 2,000 years ago, but Christians right here today at Cedar Springs Church? I would imagine that at least some of you are thinking like, wait a minute. That was a great exercise, but you're being serious? Like there are people who have crept into this church unnoticed? People I thought were appealing and helpful, who were actually trying to lead me to hell? Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. If that doesn't frighten you, it should. But listen, before I address the issue of who's crept into our church, I want to draw your attention to something that Jude has, has tucked away to the beginning and the end of this letter. Because Jude knew this would be overwhelming. He knew this would be frightening. He knew this would be concerning. So included with this call to contend against these people, against this enemy that, that appears not only extremely formidable, but hidden, is an incredibly important, encouraging promise. Look again at verse 1. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And now look at verse 24 at the end of the letter. 
now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So you see, Jude knew that it would be very, very scary and overwhelming. There's these people who have crept in. They're very capable. They're attractive. And they're going to try to lead me to hell with them? And, 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 and Jude says here, flanking this description of these dangerous, deceitful people that we are to contend against is this profound truth that you and I, listen, are kept. We're kept. We don't have to be afraid because we are kept for Jesus. We don't have to be frightened because if you believe in Jesus, then you are kept by God. And, and those people don't stand a chance against God. Who is not only able to, to keep you from stumbling, but who is able to present you blameless before his presence in glory. That's who's keeping you. So you don't have to worry about falling anymore. You don't have to worry about being deceived or, or drawn away. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are kept. All we have to do now is do. But listen, friend, I have to say here, if you do not believe in Jesus, you are not kept. You're at the whim of people like this. In fact, the Bible says you're, you're who they're actually looking to lead astray. Which means I pray and I plead that you would believe in Jesus Christ so that you too could be kept, protected against these lies and this deceit. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry. These creeps cannot derail your salvation because they don't stand a chance against Jesus. But that doesn't mean we don't have to do anything. That's the whole point of the letter. I mean, they're perverting the gospel, for God's sakes. So let me be clear. While we have had a few of these people visit this church, I do not believe we have anyone like these people physically present in the building today. Okay? So all of you that were saying, is it me? Relax. However, Listen, this is very important. Our culture has opened a door to the church that Jude didn't have to worry about. But it's the same consequence. You see, people like this have crept and will continue creeping into this church every day through the internet. Every time you go online, if you are not careful, if you are not discerning, you are risking allowing false teachers to creep into this church unnoticed. And you, by simple way of effect, will disseminate that falsehood. False teachers who look good, who sound good, but they're hidden reefs, who are trying to lead us in error. Let me be blunt. Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, Beth Moore, Stephen Furtick, 
John Kuhn, Stephen Wolf. If you're listening to people like that as your shepherd, I'm telling you, stop. They are deceitful wolves, hidden reefs. They're trying to lead you to hell. People like this are perverting the gospel of grace and denying our only master, Jesus Christ, for their own gain. So what are we supposed to do about it? How do we contend for the gospel against these kind of people? The word of God is sufficient. In fact, Jude says twice in verses 17 through 23, but you. Twice he says, but you. So I want to close by looking at how Jude says we are to contend with these people. First, look at how Jude tells us to contend with these people. He says in verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. <clears throat> so the first way is, is actually very simple, but it's, it's as important as it is simple. The first way is we simply remember. We, say, we stay alert. We simply remember that there are actually people out here that are trying to do this. We're not just blindly wandering through life or the internet listening to anyone who just sounds good. That's the first way we contend with the faith. It's, it's Peter he's quoting. We, we simply remember that there's danger out there and, and, and we keep our discernment radar up. But, but Jude gives us a second way to contend with these people. Notice what he says in verse 20. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So he says, Build yourself up in your holy faith and keep yourself in the love of God. What does that mean? I'm going to keep it real simple. Basically, he means keep yourself in truth. Build yourself up in truth. He's saying the same thing that Peter said at the end of his, of his second letter after Peter also told us to beware of these false teachers. And Peter said, therefore, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you detect any falsehood. That's how you detect any counterfeit is you get to know the truth. That's what he's saying Brothers and sisters, he's saying, keep yourself in this truth. We must build ourselves up in this truth. We must challenge and question and test everything we hear and see against this truth. But Pastor Grant, I'm, I'm not that biblically literate. I don't know that much. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I still feel vulnerable. I, I'm not sure I could stand up to someone like this on my own. I'm worried that I might be taken advantage of. I understand. We're all in different places. And the whole point of this letter is that it is a big deal. It is, it is frightening. But listen, here's the thing. If you feel that way, I want you to understand you are not alone. It's not you against them. So first, if you feel that way, I would pray that your concern 
that your, your worry, your anxiety over being taken advantage of, I pray that that would fuel a desire in you to grow in grace and knowledge. You need to be in a Bible study. You need to be in a small group. You need to be in a place more than once a week where the Word of God is being opened and taught in depth. Because the only thing that's more dangerous than being unequipped is recognizing your weakness and doing nothing about it. However, second, there is something that God has given you. He's given you discernment through His Holy Spirit, and He's given you a body of brothers and sisters. Which looks like this. If you suspect something, or, or are simply unsure, Gary, Kim, Bruce, myself, and several other people in here want to help you. I do this all the time, in fact. People will send me something like, I'm not sure about this. I read it, I listen to it, and I respond to it. And I won't just give you my opinion. The more important thing is I'll show you what the Bible says for or against whatever it is you're wondering about. However, in addition, and this is more important, if you feel unsure, if you're not quite steady that, that you might be taken advantage of, and I say this because not only have we had these, these, these people sneak in here a couple of times, but Paul says it will happen again. If there is someone you interact with in this church, and I'm being dead serious, and maybe you're sure, maybe you're unsure if something's wrong, but something pings on your radar. And by ping, I don't mean they just made a mistake. We're all human. You should listen to my sermon where I had to say the, the town name Shittim a bunch of times. I made a lot of mistakes. It's not what I'm talking about. By pinging, I mean if you're concerned, you, you, you think someone might fit the bill of what Jude is, describe, is describing here, blasphemous, self-serving, hidden, destructive reefs, then please don't hesitate to tell me. I'll handle it. You don't have to handle it on your own. And by handle it, I want you to trust that I'll handle it like Jude says. Look at verse 22. He says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In other words, I'll handle it with mercy. You're not going to get chewed out, first of all, for not knowing how to handle it on your own. But second of all, I will approach whoever you're talking about in grace, with mercy. You don't have to worry that if you point somebody out, I'm going to run over there and be like, Hey, Joe said you're a heretic. That's not what I mean. That's not what Jude says we should do. We'll approach, them, we'll approach them with grace, we'll treat them with respect, and we'll just talk to them and see who they are. Maybe they're just lost and need to be shown mercy to draw them back. Maybe they've bought in a little bit deeper and they need a little bit stronger encouragement or admonition. But I also want you to trust this. If they are wolves, if they are hidden reefs that are trying to sneak into this church, your shepherd, that's me, is not afraid to show them the door. Voluntarily or involuntarily, I don't care. I and your elders will not tolerate for a second anyone who tries to creep into our church to pervert the gospel of grace. And so you don't have to worry about that. You just ask for help. Brothers and sisters, let me close with this. I hope it's clear to you. We still must contend for the faith. We must grow in our ability to recognize these false teachers. We must grow in our, 
our security and our faith that we are kept blameless for God. And we must do both of these by growing in this truth, by building ourselves up in our faith and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Listen, because this isn't a game. That's what Jude is trying to do with his importance and all these heavy examples. Salvation is not a matter of personal opinion. When people come in here and try to say, this is how I think it should be, that matters nothing. Salvation is not a perspective or a feeling. Salvation is not subject to consensus or anyone's experiences. No, there is only one way to be saved because there is only one gospel. And it alone contains the power of God to salvation for all who believe because it reveals the only path to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God that can only be found by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, period. And that's the thing. What we're really talking about here is contending not just for those who might be led astray, but for the glory of God. We won't let anyone come in here and say that you can be saved another way that won't glorify God. That's really what we're doing. We're doing our part to guard the truth that our God is glorified, not through ourselves, but through the incredible grace that He has shown us in Jesus Christ. So for that, we will stand. For that, we will not budge. We'll be stubborn. For that, we will contend. And we'll contend for that gospel, that gospel of grace, with the courage and the hope that He will keep us from all evils, behind us and before he will sustain us through this journey from now to evermore. If you believe that is true, please stand with me and let's make that our song.